All right, we're back with Paul Frields again. Paul had asked me a question about podcasting. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing well. How about yourself, John? I'm doing well, too. So you asked me a question about podcasting that I have actually answered with two other people in the last week. So I have a little uh, side thing that I do, producing podcasts for people, everything from monthly programs, weekly programs, to actually one client actually does daily programs. So this is an area I'm totally have fun and interested in, know a lot about. And so I thought, well, what better way to answer future questions and maybe anyone else listening than to do a podcast about podcasting? (laughs) It works for me. So to a lot of people, podcasting is kind of mysterious. It's this thing on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts and it, you know, maybe you're familiar with Serial or some of the more, This American Life, some of the more popular podcasts, or you've heard some, this one, the one that I do, and you think, gosh, he must be so smart. How did he put all that together? Well, I think that every time I listen to it, actually. (laughs) brother. So we're going to break it down today. Paul knows some of this already based on his audio background, but we kind of thought we would run through the parts that he knows and then the parts that he doesn't know, and he will kind of help keep me honest, because sometimes there's the, the old curse of knowledge that's from the, the book Made to Stick, by the way, which is kind of the idea that you know something so well that you don't know what you know. So Right. It kind of becomes a blind spot. Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to help me stay out of the blind spots today. So there are five key ingredients to having a podcast. You need raw material, like a recording, uh, an interview, a conversation like we're having now. You might have an intro or an outro. That's sometimes Mr. Voice or the voice of God, you know, announcing the beginning or the end. And you might have some music, so that's the first thing. Two, a produced show, which is where you put all those things together and perhaps make it sound better than it did when you recorded it. Maybe you edit it for length, you take out uh, noise, goof-ups. In fact, I've already had a couple, which will get fixed. And that's the second thing, your produced show. The third thing is... Once you have that produced show, which is most often in the form of an MP3 file, you need somewhere to host that MP3 file. And so that's often referred to as media hosting. The fourth thing you need is you need some way to automatically alert the world that you have a new podcast, a new something to listen to. And that happens by way of an RSS feed. And if that sounds too technical, we'll go into a little bit of what that is and how it gets set up and how to create one. It's not that hard. And then fifth is a central location where people go to get new stuff or find new content that they aren't familiar with. A great example here is iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and there's a number of others out there. Uh, The fifth one isn't a requirement. You don't have to have it, but having it makes it super easy for people to find you and then get your content. How are we doing so far? That makes sense to me. All right. So before we get into the details of each of these five things, a couple of disclaimers or uh, warnings, whatever you want to call them. There are some gurus in this space. Uh, They're not too hard to find. Some of them are more well-known than others in terms of, quote, the right way to do podcasting. And I take issue with them sometimes in the sense that I think it's more important to create content and get out there and start doing stuff than to make sure that you're doing it right. <laughs> you're not breaking any laws. There's, in other words, and, and right for some of these people is, you know, are you using the right equipment? Is your microphone sound good enough? Is it expensive enough? Um, where you host your media? I tend to agree with them on that, although there are some differing opinions there. And then how you record your episodes. So some of them will say you should never use your computer because your computer could crash, you could lose a recording. I've recorded probably uh, 150 plus interviews on my computer. I have never lost one. Now, it's not to say it won't happen or that it couldn't happen, but the the alternative to that is uh, getting an external recorder, a mixer board, and and basically the price and the and the barrier to entry just gets higher when you go down some of these different paths. So what I want to say is, this is my approach. It may not fit you. It might not suit you. But if you're looking to get started for, say, $100 or less, 
this is how I've done it. This is how I continue to create episodes. And this is how a lot of people actually do it. So I'm going to put that out there before we get more into the details. Any questions there, Paul? Yeah. So this makes sense, John. Um, you know, really, I guess if I could add one thing, it's that um, I've heard other people say this, that content is king. And I think a lot of people would agree that, you know, they'd much rather listen to you know, a really interesting interview or a really interesting um, uh, story on a podcast that maybe doesn't sound amazing than listen to something that's really boring, but the recording is pristine, right? Yeah, well put. Yeah, and, and again, I, can, I also, I'll repeat myself here too, I think it can also hold people back. I, in other words... I got into this thing like completely not knowing what I was doing and creating some stuff that didn't sound that great. But the more I did it, the better I got. So I just don't want to hold anyone back from starting if you're thinking of starting. Right. Like don't don't place the bar too high before you even make a try at it. Don't don't let it stop you. Right. So that's what and, and hopefully that's what this episode helps people do. So the first thing that we mentioned in terms of the the kind of key components of a podcast is the raw recording. And this is a good segue into my first point, which is equipment. Under equipment, I would say good enough. Uh, what is good enough? I would say your voice sounds clear. Hopefully there's some warmth to your voice. You're not always going to get that from the Apple earbuds. Uh, but if that's all you got and you want to just start laying down some recordings, do it. A few other things to keep in mind here. Even if you have really good equipment, you want to be in a quiet location. So you don't want to be sitting next to the refrigerator, air conditioner on, uh, busy street, window open, <laughs> people walking by. Even if you have really good equipment, but there's a lot of distractions or uh, like your phone's going off in the background, that's not going to create a good recording. Uh, in terms of recording types uh or you know what kind of raw recording could you have you could have a monologue you've heard me do some of those you could have an interview or disc or i'd say ours today is more of a discussion and me kind of sharing presenting so anything that you can record as far as i'm concerned can be you know raw content that you might want to use in something another question that often comes up here is yes but how do you do it like, how physically do you get started? Like, yes. what what do I need to run in order to do this? Like, uh, exactly. what do I need to connect up and, and run on my computer? Right. So I've seen everything here from uh, Skype interviews. So two people in two different locations. Some people like Google Hangouts. I'm not a fan of Google Hangouts. I just had too many issues with sound quality there. Although some people say it's improving. There's actually an application that Paul Frields wrote <laughs> called Pulsecaster. <laughs> what a plug. Way back in the day, I just thought of this before we started, because I was trying to do something like this. And I don't know if you wrote it because I asked, I don't know, you somehow at some point got onto this. So if you're using Fedora, open source software, there's a program called Pulsecaster that will allow you to record. Is it two different sound sources at the same time? That's right. That's right. It'll allow you to take, for instance, the microphone that you have plugged in on your own system, uh, but then also record something off a remote source like Skype or uh, another audio program. So that way, if you're calling somebody um, via Skype, you could just do a podcast directly out of that recording. And that is only available on what Fedora, pretty much Linux platforms? Yeah, it's it is for Linux platforms. I mean, you could you can download it at pulsecaster.org. There's another plug. Do I get bonus points yeah, for that? Absolutely. Plug uh, away. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you can download it from there and and run it on a Linux platform. If you have a modern distribution that uses Pulse Audio, um it will work fine there. Um in most cases, I I would say it's it's not really pretty per se, but it it does the job and it comes with some pretty decent documentation and there are some um there are some fine tuning knobs that you can control that make it easier for you to do some post processing. So if you are a little more into making things pristine or doing, you know, editing on the resulting um audio files, you can do that. So along those lines an equivalent for that on Mac, which is what I use is a program called Skype Call Recorder. It's I believe $30. It's worth every penny. I've used it for hundreds of interviews, discussions on Skype. It works great. Some and, and again, 
some of the gurus will say that Skype is horrible. You shouldn't use it. It's kind of a meme a little bit on the internet that Skype is horrible. I'm surprised by like how good it usually is. There are days where it's not having a good day. Uh, but I would say for the most part, I found Skype to be really reliable. If you're talking to someone on Skype that doesn't have Skype or is maybe not technical enough to do Skype, an advantage of Skype and Skype Call Recorder here is you can, I think, pay money. I haven't done it, but I've heard people do it. And basically make a phone call from Skype to a landline or a cell phone or something like that. So that's another way to get an interview. Um, and then the last way, there's, by the way, there's other ways here. There's obvious ways, like two microphones in the same room. Although if you're not in a treated room... <laughs> And you don't know exactly what you're doing. I have run into problems there with bleed or echo from the other person's mic. So in those, when you're in person, there, there can be some additional issues to work around unless you're in a studio. A studio would be ideal if you got one. Um, and then if none of those options are interesting enough, there's what's called a double ender. And I believe this comes from, I don't know what, it's either radio or television, uh, but this term, what this term essentially means, and actually Paul and I are doing it today, is each person <laughs> does their own local recording. So Paul and I are talking to each other on Skype. I'm recording with Skype Call Recorder. Paul's also doing his own recording. And when we're done with this, Paul's going to send me his local recording, and I will marry it up with my local recording that I'm getting from Skype Call Recorder. Now, if for some reason... Paul's recording fails or something like that, then I'll just go with the one that Skype captures. The advantage of that is it sounds like both of you are in the same room and both of you have really good recordings because both of them are local and I'm not capturing maybe an occasional bobble that comes across Skype from Paul. So Right. And and it's, you know, of course, since this is all digital, right, it's the magic of the magic of zeros and ones is that you know, these are going to come out timed the exact same way it's not like running two tape recorders in different locations where they can drift in speed yes over time so yeah it works it, it works really great that's i think one of the the miracles of having this stuff all be digital on both sides and you know another thing that that i guess I could point out is having the double ender also means that you know i can do some sweetening on my voice or you could do sweetening on your voice and it just comes out as an ideal situation. It's almost as it's almost as good in my mind as having a real physical studio because you know each of us is going to get complete isolation from the other person for our recording and we can make them each sound as good as possible and then when you put them together it's just I mean it's going to sound phenomenal like we were in um you know isolation booths at a at a studio. Right. In terms of the original recording that you make, you want that recording to be of the highest quality possible. By highest quality possible here, we mean a lossless. You want to save this into a lossless format. The most common format here, I think, is Wave on Mac, AIFF. Uh, FLAC is out there. Audacity will record to FLAC um, or save as FLAC. Unfortunately, in my experience, FLAC isn't always... Like I think I tried to drag, drag a FLAC into iTunes, and it didn't know what to do with it. I don't know if... Yeah. I don't know if Pro Tools can handle FLAC, but anyway, FLAC is an awesome format. It, it's I, lossless. I can tell you for sure. I can tell you for a certainty that FLAC will not work in Pro Tools okay. out of the box. I was very surprised by that, but yeah, this... Uh, so it's an awesome format, but nobody supports it. Kind of like, I guess you could say, AUG. So you don't want to save your original recording as an MP3 or an AUG file. The reason there is when you bring it into your, your editing software or your DAW, your digital audio workstation, I think that's the right uh, acronym there, you want the highest quality pro possible as you make changes to that audio. You kind of want to start from the best possible place you can. An MP3 file or an AUG file has been compressed, and so you've lost some of the detail of that original recording. Um, and we could probably do a whole separate episode on... DAWs. <laughs> I think Paul uses Pro Tools. <laughs> I use Logic Pro. Before I use Logic Pro, uh, which is a Mac only, I used Audacity. The gurus, the gurus love to slam Audacity as as being a horrible piece of software because it's free. I could not disagree more. I ha I use it. I've used it for hundreds of episodes. It does have its limitations as you try to get more sophisticated in your workflow. But for starting out, 
I've recorded episodes with it. I've edited with it. And gosh, that could be a whole topic on its on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think what, you know, again, the idea here is to sort of reject the purest, like, you know, my way or the highway. Yes. Again, if it works and it sounds, in fact, I was saying this to someone last week. I said, if it works and it sounds good, who cares how you created it? Exactly. As long as it wasn't illegal. Um, The other thing that I'll add here before we move on from creating raw content is there's this kind of sad irony that and there's a there's a graphic I saw on the internet recently on Facebook or something and and it showed you know a thousand dollar microphone five thousand dollar mixer and treatment and all this basically you had thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment that went into the production of this either music or podcast (laughs) and then at the end someone was listening to it on a pair of thirty dollar (laughs) earbuds so, <laughs> the, the funny thing, the, you, you know, we laugh. It's it's funny, but it's, uh, true. You know, it's like I said, in the untouchables, right? We laugh because it's funny. We laugh because it's true. But um, that that sh- that change, right? Music in everyone's pocket really has driven a lot of the changes in the way music is recorded nowadays. I mean, albums that people are hearing were literally recorded in people's living rooms, sometimes in untreated studios like not really a studio but just some untreated space and the technology has gotten so good nowadays that you can do this stuff very quickly with less of a cash layout there anyway that's probably a whole other that's probably a whole other podcast too right how the music business and recording has changed over the years for for doing this stuff as well but no i think it's a good reminder though that the barrier to entry here is really really low right and And people should take advantage of it. Right. They absolutely should. One thing I skipped in the raw recording section, in fact, it touches on equipment. People often ask me, well, like, well, what could I get started with here? Real quickly, there's a couple microphones. One, so the one that I'm on right now, which I don't recommend because it's a condenser microphone, which is a whole topic for another time. It's, I'm using the Audio-Technica AT2020 USB microphone, uh, the one that I do recommend, especially if you're just getting started and you're like, I don't know, do I want USB or while well, I eventually want to plug this into a mixer, is the ATR2100 or the AT2005, both made by Audio-Technica. Uh, they're essentially the same microphone. And strangely, the price on these things goes up and down. The first one I bought was $36. I bought a backup one a week or two ago. It was 56 They go up as high as 80 or $90 on Amazon. So... The price on these fluctuates, why, I have no idea. One plug for the ATR2100 is it has a lifetime warranty. So if something happens to it, you can send it to Audio-Technica and they'll fix it or send you a new one. Right. There's, if I can recommend another, another really good model uh, out there, and it's, it's around the same price point. It might be just tipping the scale at $100 or $99 or something like that, is uh, the Blue Microphones Yeti. Mm. Uh, Y-E-T-I, like the Abominable Snowman. Um, the Blue Yeti is really... Po- uh, really. Um, so the Blue Yeti is really popular with podcasters as well, so that may be a good choice for some people. I'm not as much of a fan. Yeah, the... Yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, maybe you're... Maybe I'm not sure I'd agree with you on that one. The... No, I do one podcast where, where it is recorded with the Yeti. I think it's the... Is it the Snowball? One of them is yeah. like is is not as high a quality and i think i would pick the atr over it but yeah the snowball your... i would say is probably lower quality i have one of those as well okay maybe that's what i'm thinking of but again you be the judge there's plenty right. of like shootouts that you can find on on you know do a do a google search for you know comparing the microphones you're interested in or if you can i think if you're like amazon prime you can buy like buy a couple of them do some recordings and pick the one you like because and then send the other ones back exactly yeah. because another we're, we're, we got to get to the other topics the other tangent here is everyone's voice is different mm-hmm. and everyone's voice responds differently to different microphones so right it could be that just because i like these two microphones and i think my voice sounds decent on them you might try it and it might not work for you so yeah that's, that's absolutely true that's a full round trip though on the whole usb microphone to say for a hundred around a hundred dollars or less if you already have a computer you're ready to go if you want to go the more sophisticated route, which is what Paul's got set up, you need um, a mixer board and an amplifier and I don't know what else. <laughs> it adds another <laughs> level of complexity 
but the 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 quality level goes up as well. So I've kind of just I've always thought that someday I would end up with a mixer board and a and a nicer mic, and I probably will someday. But I haven't seen a need to do it yet. That's all I'd have to say on equipment and getting that raw recording. Did I leave anything out before we uh, move into the next one? No, I I don't think so. I think we hit everything there. Okay, so you got this raw recording, and now you want to make it part of a program. Uh, you know, something that you would normally hear elsewhere. When you know, maybe it's uh, you know, Mister Voice and some some music that kicks things off, and the music fades down, and then the talking begins. There's some type of introduction, and then the main content, and then the end. This is what I refer to as the produced show. Um, and this is actually an area that I specialize in. I help people with. Um, I mentioned at the top, you know, that I do some work in this area. I also have a Trello board and a Trello system around this that I use with people that, that works really well. So if that's of interest, let me know. I'll be glad to share that. Um, this is an area, too, where some people, like myself, are really interested in it and enjoy doing it. And other people have no interest, time, and want nothing to do with it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you have a budget and you can hire someone to do it, or you're producing like a really high volume show, like a daily show, you might want to hire someone to do some some of this kind of work. And that's one other thing that I do. So what happens in terms of like producing a show? Like what is involved? Well, just you've got the raw recording, but maybe the raw recording had some goofs in it or Maybe one person is louder than the other, or maybe one person is not always on the microphone. They're they're moving around, or uh, sound levels are all over the place, or maybe there's background noise or hiss. Um, so part of the what I call the production process is taking care of all this stuff. Sometimes you'll listen to a podcast too, where you have like one guest coming out of one like the left ear and another one coming out the right and drives you crazy. Like, like they're at war across your brain. <laughs> just it's just torture. So yeah. there's there's like that problem is like take like two seconds to fix in Logic Pro. I just click one button and it's fixed. So anyway, those are types of things that can make kind of bring the show and 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 make it sound real. Something people often have question about is well where do I find music and can't I just take my favorite song that I found on you know wherever or that i bought you know i bought this cd can't i just you know use it in something and the resounding answer is no not unless you want to get sued or whatever happens to people that do that kind of stuff i don't know i just try to stay on the right side of the copyright loss so music works similar to the way that like royalty free photos so like if you're using photos on your blog you're probably getting them from type of some type of stocks photo service or you're getting them from a from a free photo service. By the way, a quick plug for a free photo service that I love is called LibreStock, L-I-B-R-E-S-T-O-C-K.com, and they source a whole bunch of free photo sites, including Unsplash, which, which is a really popular one. Oh, I love Unsplash. The big takeaway here is you want to make sure that whatever music you're using has a license that you can use it under. So... A lot of the free music is licensed for non-commercial use. So my podcast is not for sale. I don't sell it. Anybody can listen to it. So I'm not, in other words, I'm not making money from the podcast itself. So that would be a non-commercial use. However, if you, if you were doing like an audio program where you're doing lessons or teaching and people have to pay to buy it, then you want to make sure that you're using music that has some type of commercial commercial usage. And I'll have some links to some places to get music, finding music can be a major time sink. Uh, it's, I don't know if you ever like rethemed a, a website or something looking for a WordPress theme, but you can spend hours and days trying to get this right. So my encouragement that, there that would is be a to, deep rabbit hole. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> my encouragement here would be to find something that's good enough, start publishing, and then change the music. I mean, if you listen to my podcast at all, podcast at all you'll notice that I'm playing around with the music sometimes. So. A couple places I'll throw out for really good, decent, royalty-free music. Freemusicarchive.org, Incompetech.com, YouTube Free Music Library, and there are others out there. Those are the ones that I've I've tend to draw from. Um, And then if you want to go with the more commercial-sounding, Premium Beat has some really good stuff, and there are others out there. Be careful, though, because I have found some that are free, for and the music is really great. 
And then you read the fine print and they're like, yeah, but you can't use this in a podcast. So I won't call out the one that is and I can't remember off the top of my head, but just something really important to do. And then once you use the music, make make sure you're doing the attribution correctly. So that's what it essentially means to produce a podcast, you know, the, the produced show. You want to save that as an MP3 uh, bit rate of... I, I like I from what I've read and what I can tell from listening to anywhere from between sixty and eighty k for a mono file. I don't think stereo is necessary. Some people like to do stereo. When you say sixty to eighty k, you yeah. just for some bit for rate. folks who don't know, yeah, they don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's the bit rate, like the quality of the recording. Hmm? Yeah, that that's what you want to tune. That's the bit rate. It's the resol. How should we explain this? It's the resolution <laughs> of the finished product. Right, right. So we're not talking about the files that you may be recording, like right off your mic or right off of Skype, but that final produced show, once it's done, uh, gets encoded into an MP3 format that everybody can download and listen to on their devices or on their computer, and it has uh, an audio bit rate like the the amount of bits that have to flow in order to you know get get the sound to something that you can actually hear and so and they measure that in kilobits per second or kbps correct and what's happening there is so maybe the original recording that was done like when we're done recording i don't know an hour through skype call recorder which creates an mov file which is some type of anyway uh, <laughs> That file will probably be, oh, off the top of my head, maybe 50 megabytes. Mm-hmm. And then you add in music and intros and outros. And I might have a project file in Logic that's, I don't know, three, four, 500 megabytes based on other stuff it's adding in. But when I create that MP3 file, the MP3 file of maybe a 30-minute conversation would be around uh, 10 megabytes. So what right. it's doing is it's 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 squeezing everything down in size, but in squeezing it down in size, you're losing quality. And so these bit rates um, are are kind of a measure for MP3s as to how much you've squeezed it down. So I typically squeeze, and and again, some people prefer to share the stereo version. You stare, you share the stereo version of the file. You're doubling the size of it. And the only benefit you're getting out of the stereo is if the music itself is in stereo. And I played around with that a little bit, and most of the time, the music plays for such a short period of time, I don't think it matters. And so I prefer to go with, again, between 60 and 80 kilobits. Is that right? I was getting kilobits. And if stereo, between 120 and 192. That's what I typically do. Yeah, that that sounds like good advice. And that ties into the next subject, which is hosting. And so here's where the size of the file matters. Any any anything jump out you there, Paul? That I missed, or that you want to know more about? The one thing that jumped out uh, at me, the mono versus stereo question. I completely agree with you that you know, especially for a spoken word podcast like this, mono works just fine. I would think maybe the only exception I might make to that is let's say that you're doing one that's more of a panel with let's say three or more people involved um when you actually produce the show you might end up wanting to position people in the stereo image so like you know maybe the host or moderators in the center and then you've got people who are on the panel not all the way to the left or right, right? Because we talked about that earlier, that how, how disorienting and weird that is, but just slightly to the left or right as if they were spread out at a, at a table in front of you where they're still pretty much in the middle, but just a little bit off center, right, for each voice. And then the stereo can actually come in handy because it helps the listener identify who's talking at a specific point. I think it's really not useful with two people because they just don't overlap enough for it to be a confusing point. But when you have more than say three voices uh, and, and any of them overlap, it actually can get into a, uh, a, you can get into a situation where listeners might be confused by who's talking and, and who's talking over whom. I'd never thought of that. That, yeah. So basically kind of create some spatial uh, and their plugins and things in your workstation, in your yeah. DAW that can, can, 
yeah, move those things around. That's a great, that's yeah, a great point. including audacity, by the way. So really, you know, I've you never can, done that. Well, I'm on not audacity. talking it. Yeah, this isn't something that you have to go spend a bunch of money to do. Just to be clear, nice. Yeah, and in terms of spending money on the production side, I did mention you know that you can take out you know sometimes some hiss and some hum and all that. Where you can start adding money and sophistication there is third party plugins, um, <laughs> which is a whole whole another world, but. That could be a show unto itself, like <laughs> or, like John's or, recommended plugins, or ten or twelve, or whatever. It's also a, <laughs> it's also there's a kind of an inside joke. It's also an addiction because there's mm-hmm. kind of this this always a sense of like if I could just there's there's got to be a plugin that can fix this problem for me, and you know, and I'll just yeah, it's thirty or forty or hundred. You can spend a lot of money on them. So I'm waiting for the plugin that's like just one big suck knob, and I can just turn it. <laughs> down for my voice so it sucks less that'll be great i'm waiting for that okay so let so just to kind of recap where we've gone here so far there's the raw material the recording there's the produce show now we have the produce show in the form of an mp3 and we need to put it somewhere so that people can get it don't make the mistake of just simply putting this mp3 file on your web host because you can now and by web host, uh, what we mean here is most people are using a web framework, like WordPress is a very common one. Squarespace, but I'll contradict myself when it comes to Squarespace. And then whatever, or Drupal, or like whatever web hosting, you're probably using Bluehost or HostGator or something cheap, or uh, maybe something more sophisticated like WP Engine. I've heard varying things as to whether these hosts will let you host media from them or not um i think i talked to one of them at one time they're like yeah we don't care just put it there i've also heard of people getting um in trouble or shut down when and if their their show blows up in a good way and right. the, their website is just good their web host is just going to get hammered with downloads sometimes you have a yeah sometimes you have a bandwidth limit too or you'll get right? throttled like a, or shut yeah. down or whatever so yeah I, I have a linode that like they have a limit there you on go. for my paid plan of how many people like how much people can download from you exactly per month so the, the recommendation here and again if you're doing something that's like there's going to be five listeners forever you could probably do it and get away with it if you do want to grow it or grow it eventually I really recommend paying a, for a service that specifically handles the streaming and hosting of media. Uh, they range from between 5 and $15 a month. A really commonly known one is Libsyn. I think they've been around maybe the longest. Another one I really like is Blueberry. I use both of them, and I have clients that use... Actually, my clients actually use some other ones, but those are the two that I recommend. And it's basically, again, it's a special place where all you're doing is hosting your media. And by media, I mean the MP3 file for your show. How are we doing there? Anything left out? Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Um, if I could recommend one other place yeah. uh, to store. Now, this is this would be specifically for people who want to create content that is sort of free and open. Like if they're creating content that you know, you're not going to you're not going to care if somebody copies it anywhere or, or reuses it. If you're into free content in that way, um, archive.org, I believe offers hosting for media files as well. There may be a limit on, on what you can do there as well. Like there may be a limit on files and or file size, but I think I've actually hosted things there before for a podcast that I did that was specifically aimed at, um, a free and open source content and free and so free and open source um, contributor audience. I have heard that mentioned too. Yeah. I don't know. I think there are some limitations there, but again, research like decide for yourself. I like Libsyn and Blueberry. And if I were to create kind of a mainstream podcast, like the most prominent podcasts I think are on those platforms, but again, do what works for you. Especially if you don't have a budget and you just want to get started. Okay, so now that you've got your raw content, you've turned it into a produced piece of content, it's in an MP3 format, it's on your media host, now we want an easy way for people to consume that MP3 file and maybe read more about each individual episode or something. A really simple way to do this is a WordPress site. 
That's the way a lot of people do it. There's a plugin that I highly recommend that I use and a lot of people use. It's called PowerPress. And it's made by Blueberry or Raw Voice. And I'm not sure exactly the relationship there. It's all, it's basically the same people, same company. They create this plugin called PowerPress. And by adding this plugin to your WordPress site, it will create automatically for you an RSS feed. And do you, do you have to be using like the Blueberry? No. Uh, service for that? No, you don't. Okay, you can great. Post, as long as you can point to a URL where your media exists, and again, if you're self-hosting it on your own place, you could point to it. It right. will, it will provide a media player. It will provide sharing buttons. So if you go to johnpolster.com, you'll see in the sidebar there's when you're under some of the pages, or if you're under the the podcast page, you'll see in the sidebar and at the bottom easy to subscribe links. So the key thing that PowerPress is providing to you, the, the biggest takeaway here is that it's providing the RSS feed. The RSS has been around for a long, long time. Uh, kind of previously most famous for being a way of getting updates from websites. So there used to be Google Reader, which got closed. Now there's Feedly. And, and you could take a feed, an RSS feed from a website, put it in this aggregator, and then just go to this aggregator to see all the new stuff from particular websites. That never really caught on as much as people thought it was going to, but it's still out there. It's still really useful. But it's incredibly useful when it comes to podcasts, and we'll get to that in a little bit. PowerPress will create this RSS feed for you. If you're hosting on Squarespace, Squarespace will host the media for you and create a feed for you. I don't think it's as elegant as what you can do with WordPress and PowerPress, but if you're already on Squarespace and that's where your website is, I think it's worth going down that path. I, I know one person that's that's uh, doing their podcast that way. There is a debate among the gurus as to where you host your RSS feed. So, And I've talked to people from both companies at different conferences I've gone to. The people from Libsyn will tell you that it's insane to host your own feed, that you should have... So essentially, how can I explain this? Libsyn itself creates a feed for your podcast if you're hosting content there. But you can point at the direct file and not use that feed. That makes sense? I, I think so. So what I think what you're talking about now is where the actual RSS itself is found, right? Yes, what's creating it. So, right. And, and, and just so, you know, people, again, people listening understand, like, this RSS is actually a thing. Like, it is, it is a, a file. It's a URL. Yeah, URL. It's a URL right. that... That is constantly providing the latest information about the content on your website, whether it be right. web content or audio content. Right. And so that could live in a number of different places. The services where people go to get your content, like iTunes or Google Play or whatever, those services need to know where that feed is. And then that feed, in turn, points to wherever your media is, your MP3s or whatever. Great way of explaining it. And some people love FeedBurner. FeedBurner is an intermediary is a intermediate step in between those two. Some people like FeedBurner because you can tell exactly how many people are subscribed to a feed, and you can so you can get some stats and stuff on the round that. A year or two ago, people were afraid of FeedBurner because they were afraid Google was going to shut it down, and they very well could someday. I have never and some people again the gurus some people recommend that you really need a FeedBurner feed to manage your feed i've never understood or seen the need for it so i don't do that other people do also libsyn will say you know you should not host your own feed from your own website because of bandwidth issues and availability and it's really you want that feed hosted from someone like libsyn who can provide the highest quality hosting of that feed so that your show doesn't get dinged and so that you're always available I've talked to people at Blueberry, and they have the exact opposite to say. Granted, their plugin creates an RSS feed hosted from your website. I've talked to other people in between, and they kind of... The feeling kind of is just kind of do whatever you want. That Yeah, that, it's kind of split. It's split. It's kind of an interesting split. And, and, and you will find people very passionate on both sides of this issue. The direction I've chosen to go is to host my own feed. I've never seen it be a problem. Yeah, I think that that I think that makes good sense, of, especially for people who are 
again, they're starting out. They want to keep it simple. This this kind of it sort of lowers the number of moving parts. You exactly. know, at the same time, at the same time, there's some risk there, right? Because like just in fact, right now, like I'm I'm experiencing sort of a, a configuration problem that I'm working my way through today, and it probably would affect that feed being available for people. So I can see both sides of the coin, but I really think again, if the if the direction is to just get started and get something out there, you know, just having it on your own host is is a fine place to start. Exactly. So one other just quick tie in here, the the advantage of so having the feed at your own site or as part of your WordPress site. So at my site, if you've been there, I have a little pop-up that doesn't block your view. It just kind of pops up in the bottom right-hand corner that offers, if you want to sign up for my mailing list, you can. My mailing list is configured so that every time there's a new blog post or podcast episode, you get an email. And my content comes out at minimum once a week, or sorry, maximum once a week. So it's not real high volume. That makes it an easy way to also tell people, hey, there's a new podcast episode if they're subscribed to my mailing list. And there's some people that like are less sophisticated and email's kind of their thing that works great for them. So it's another easy win. I also use MailChimp, which is free. So all of those things, those are just some kind of behind the scenes ways that have kind of tied everything together. So you've got the raw content, you've got the produced show, you've got the produced show as a MP3 hosted somewhere. You've got an RSS feed from somewhere. <laughs> now you're going to take that feed and you're going to submit it to the places that you want to syndicate and make your content available. So people can always come directly to your website if you've got the, the player uh, embedded as part of an episode and listen to it just directly on your website. I don't think very many people do that these days. Uh, the place to be from what I can tell and all the things that I've heard is iTunes. Uh, whether you like Apple or not, iTunes is where it's at. So what does it take to get into iTunes? It's amazingly... It's, I had two questions on this last week, and you and I were laughing about this before we started. The bar right. to getting into iTunes is incredibly low. Uh, it's not like broadcast TV or radio where you have to be good enough. It's right. pretty much... I have never heard, put it this way, I have never heard of someone getting rejected from iTunes. Right. It's not like this is, it's not like this is content where, you know, Apple is selling advertiser time on these pieces of content like, you know, broadcasters do on TV shows, right? It's really, they are, they are selling on the access to scads of content, right? So you're adding to it, you're basically sweetening the pot for their customers, by definition. Exactly. So in terms of submitting to iTunes, what's involved there? You need that feed, because that's like the that is the thing that is gonna drive them showing the latest content for your show. You need the feed, you need an iTunes account. Uh, some people don't like that. Sorry, I don't know the way around that. Some people don't like to give your credit card. They don't want their credit card on file with iTunes. An easy way around that is to buy a gift card. Uh, I think you can get them as like cheap as $10. Uh, so that's a way around giving them your credit card initially if you don't want to do that. If uh, another, side, another side little hack that I did here in terms of when I got Logic Pro, Logic Pro is $200, but I went to Costco and got $200 of iTunes gift cards for I think $150. So I saved 50 bucks. So nice. Just a little and and you could scan the barcode of the iTunes card with the camera on my Mac so I didn't have to like enter all the numbers. So uh -huh. yeah, I had to do like eight cards, but it, I was done in like 1 minute. So Right. That's iTunes. So Google Play essentially works the same way. You're going to give them this exact same feed. Uh Google Play is kind of supposedly on the rise, Google being Google, uh the time with Android and all that stuff. Uh, so I think that's, I think iTunes is a must. You've got to be there if you want exposure. Um, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And then from there, there are tons of places um, that you can submit this feed once you have it. But if I were to hit any three, uh, well, iTunes for sure. And then I'd probably hit Google Play and Stitcher. Um, I'll also link to another post from the podcaster studio. The podcaster studio, Ray Ortega, 
He was one of the guys that kind of helped me get going in the beginning. Uh, I'm a really nice guy. I met him in person at a conference. I don't know him personally, but he has really good content. So I'll link to his post on how to get into what he thinks the top five are, which are include these three and a couple others, as well as how to do it exactly, if if that's of interest. So, but I, I believe that if you want your content listened to and consumed and the possibility that more people will find it, you got to be... You got to be in these places because it makes it really easy. You know, if you have a podcast player, you search for a particular show, you add it to your player, you're done. Now, you could go the route of, you know, manually copying and pasting the RSS feed URL into a player to do it, which is kind of how it worked in the olden days. But again, I think if you want listeners, the easiest way to do it is to be in one of these places. Yeah, I, I would have to completely agree with that. Now, I, I've heard of Stitcher Radio. I've been hearing about them for quite some time. And um, I, I would agree with you that they are probably one of the most popular places for you know, warehousing these different podcasts that you can find. Um, but I also really agree iTunes and Google Play, You know, neither one of those requires the listener to download anything, right? If you have an Apple phone, you have iTunes on it. If you have a Google phone, you're going to have Google play on, on it as well. And the way to find podcasts on either of them is just dead simple, right? You, you search for something the same way that you'd search on the, on the web for any content and you immediately find your show. I, you know, that's how I, I loaded up John, I loaded up your show on my phone, not to you know be too sycophantic or anything about this, but you know, when when you know when plug I heard away. you were putting your show out, I oh we'll plug johnpolster.com. But yeah, when I was uh uh yeah, you we, we can arrange the checks later. But um when I was looking for your for your show, you know, I went into the podcast section on Google Play Music and just looked just for Polstra. Yeah, and of course you you came right up and uh you know, adding that to my to my feed was I mean, it was dead simple and I don't have to do anything after that. Like your, your show gets delivered to my phone now, you know, every time a new one comes out overnight, it gets downloaded onto my phone and I can, you know, listen when I go take a walk or whatever. And if you're not familiar with how this works, different players can also be configured different ways. So the the default settings for a lot of them is just download the latest episode when it's available. So what's happening there is iTunes is pinging the feed occasionally this rss feed they're they're occasionally pinging it to see is there new stuff and if there are new stuff they're going to update their listing with the list of episodes and then if your particular device is subscribed to that episode it's going to push the content right to it so it's just ready to go well this was a really this was a really so how hard does that sound session. now like how hard <laughs> like I, I mean i look at this and i'm like it really is easy like what do you think yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is easy to get started. I, you know, I think for many people listening to this show, you know, the the hardest thing for them, I think, is going to be just simply maybe getting your thoughts organized and you know putting them together in a way that you can sit down and do a podcast. And I would I would advise maybe just you know swooping back up to like the thirty thousand foot level or something like that. I would advise people to. Maybe aim for a shorter podcast at first. Now, admittedly, John and I are doing this and we've, you know, we've taken, you know, 45 or more minutes to to talk about this subject in depth, but you don't have to have a podcast be an hour to be useful, right? John has done great podcasts that are just, you know, five, 10 minutes long where he really dives into a very specific subject and, and helps you out. And sometimes that's all that people have time for. So don't, Maybe don't assume that you need to fill out that time or or you know expand it to a certain level. Like you don't have to pad it with junk, right? No, if no. you have something really important important to say and it's not going to take you very long to do it, that's fine. Have a have a, t- a five or a ten minute you know quick thought that you want to get out there to your audience. You know this this method makes it really easy to deliver that uh, you know just as well as if you have a whole you know, a whole story based show that where you want to you know, make a, a series of points that are going to take you about an hour to get through, right? Both of those are perfectly valid. So I would advise people getting started not to maybe not to limit themselves or not to feel like they have to come up to a certain level uh, just to get started. Well, and on that note, too, I got this question twice last week. Um, and it's fairly common for people that are coming from like radio or broadcast is like, well, what's the right length of time? 
and there's no <laughs> there's no answer. like like I was like right. there's no right there's no right answer here. Again, the the gurus will say, well, you know, it should be the exact or there's some like Nielsen or like JD Power study that says it's 22 minutes because that's the average commute time. And you'll have other people like, well, I try to keep it to 30 because that's how long most people run for. Um, Tim Ferriss, I mean, he kind of breaks the rules on everything. He has episodes that are like two and a half or three hours long. And I've listened to like, I don't listen to every single one, but I've listened to some of those episodes that are two and a half hours long because they were interesting enough. Right. So I totally agree with what you're saying. If it's If you're on point and you're interesting to your audience, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I, I, I will tell you, there are some shows that I listen to where it's like they just wander and shoot the breeze for the first 15 minutes. I probably have listened to one of their episodes and then it gets deleted because I'm not going <laughs> to like skip through until they really start talking about the real stuff. That's just right. me. That's just me. And so, yeah, in terms of my episodes, I start, I get to the point, I end. That's my style. But there are others where they wander aimlessly for 15 or 20 minutes and those shows are really highly rated and their listeners love it great like there's again there's no wrong answer there's no there's no rules here i mean there's general guidelines but don't let that stop you you know one other thing that people often ask me too is is uh, analytics and metrics so like how do you tell how many listeners you have this is where podcast this is where i think it gets really interesting or an interesting slash not the same as web analytics so with web analytics a lot of people use Google Analytics, you can tell within some reasonable level of certainty, you know, people are blocking the trackers and all that stuff, but ballparks, reasonable ballparks you can pretty much go with, you know, how many visits the website had, how long people stayed on the page, what pages get visited the most, on average, like how many visitors you have a month. Podcasting, the numbers get really murky, and here's why. The only thing that you can really measure with some level of accuracy is an individual download. So right. that download counts as one download. And you can get sometimes you can get geo information like where did where did the downloadee come from? So I do stats with Blueberry and with Libsyn. A different level of account with Libsyn will give you stats or not. Um, but Blueberry will tell me unique downloads which I think is an important number, but here's where it gets really, really murky. As the show grows, so say uh, I think there's 20, 22 or 23 or somewhere in the 20s of podcasts that I've done so far. If you've listened to all 20 episodes, that counts as 20 downloads. But if you only listen to one of them and 19 other people listen to them, well, that means I have 20 listeners. <laughs> But but if you simply are the only listener I have and you've downloaded all 22 episodes, it doesn't mean I have 22 listeners. It means there's been 22 downloads. Yeah. Here's, and here's an interesting, another interesting point, right? People are downloading a podcast. You can't necessarily be sure. No, if they listen to What they've not. listened to. No. How, how long no have way. they been listening, right? No. It was, right? If someone cracks that, if someone, and someday someone probably will, but you're exactly right. Yeah, so... So where this gets really wacky is, so say you've got, I don't know, 200 episodes and 10,000, 10, say you have, okay, so you have 200 episodes and you have, you know, 80,000 downloads. You don't know, and you'll hear people say, yeah, I've got, you know, 300,000 listeners. Well, you had 300,000 downloads, which is great. I mean, that's a good solid number. That's a super solid number, but you don't know how many people that was and you don't know whether they even listen to it so a lot of times i'll sign up for a new show that catches my fancy and i'll download well i used to i don't do it anymore but you know i would just be like oh yeah download all the episodes yeah i just yeah, gave them 100 downloads and then right. i listened and to a couple you've episodes got like, yeah you got 25 hours of listening on your on your phone or whatever and did you actually get to that 25 hours i listened hours to two episodes content. and was like oh this isn't my thing and i deleted it <laughs> So, you know, it, here's so, a, here's yeah. one one last interesting point. Maybe I wanted to throw in here about yeah. the the or any other questions the analytics. Yeah, the, well, about the analytics. The, the interesting thing is that I have noticed that on my Google devices, right, using Google Play Music, 
I have a phone, I've got a tablet, and obviously, you know, I've got a computer or two around the house as well. If I move from my phone to my tablet, Google Play seems to know where I left off listening to something. So it would not surprise me if on the horizon... There weren't ways of telling, right? Yeah. Who, who are your, are your consumers actually listening to your content? Are they, you know, are they actually getting through the end of it? Like what's the average amount of time that people actually are listening to this piece of content? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never thought of, you're exactly right. Yeah. I haven't seen that exposed yet. I'm just saying that maybe that's possible in the future. I have no idea what Google's plans are, just to be clear. I just, it's something I noticed and I thought, hmm, if I were them and I were, uh, you know, interested in kind of figuring out what, you know, for my, for my customers, Google, for my customers, the content providers, right? What sort of analytics could I provide? Maybe that's something they can do. I don't know. Right. So what do you think? So before we started on this, you were like, so how does a podcast work exactly? And what if someday I wanted to do one? Like what, any other questions and what's your overall take on this? Well, I, I mean, I think this is, I think this is, this is a really, it's a really rich, um, <laughs> it's a really rich field that people can mine, right. To, uh, to start thinking about how to put content out there. I mean, it's, it's a really wide open field, but I feel like this was a really good way to get people started from my perspective, you know, the, 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 piece of most interest for me is what are the platforms out there for making my content for making my content distributable and how do I make sure that I'm getting on the services where people can find it easily and consume it mm. right mm-hmm. that for me was a really big win um you know you talked about the powerpress plugin for wordpress I, i'm a big wordpress user i've been using it for i mean almost since it was introduced, I think, like well over a decade now. I mean, wow. maybe closer to a decade and a half. And um, I've kept a personal blog on uh, online forever. Um, I was not one of the earliest guys doing this, just to be clear. But <laughs> WordPress, WordPress was just something that I gravitated to, and I've been using it for a very long time. So finding out that that was a great match for podcasts helps me a lot. Um, and I feel like for a lot of people out there, you know, WordPress is a go-to for a lot of people. It millions and millions of sites are based on it around the world and it's easy to find helpful information on it. It's, it's so easy to use nowadays that you know, just about anybody could get started with it. It's no longer, you, know, you don't have to have a degree in computers to run a WordPress uh, blog. So I will say with the PowerPress plugin, some parts of configuring it are a little easier than others. So if you have questions on it, I don't know that I'm the authority on it. I'll try to answer questions in the comments or if there are any other ideas or, Hey, would you cover this in a future discussion? Uh, definitely go to the website, johnpolster.com and leave a comment. And, uh, either me or Paul or both of us will, will try to hit it in the future and get you the help you need. Now, now, John, and and just in closing, I mean, you've been doing this podcast for a while, and I think this may not be the only one that you're involved with. Um, Is that something that you're you're kind of pursuing in a more general sense? Yes. Well, actually, it is. So, yeah, I have a, I call it a, I don't know, a podcast production business. If you're familiar with The Productivityist, which is a productivity show by Mike Vardy, and then a daily show that I started uh, towards the end of this year it's called life skills that matter with Stephen Worley that's an example of like some of the stuff that I help put together I don't record the content but I kind of help assemble produce clean up um, make it easily available so yeah if that was something that uh, someone wanted help with I offer a a 31 minute consultation no obligation free uh, get on the phone or Skype or whatever and just talk about whatever you want to talk about related to podcast glad to do that so, um, 31 minutes. What, what's the, so what's the extra minute for? <laughs> just to be quirky. <laughs> I like it. I really like it. I love it's 30 sticky. is just standard, but I was like, well, I don't want to be normal. <laughs> I did that with someone recently. I scheduled a meeting with them for, uh, 17 minutes. <laughs> They're like, it's just what, like, why? I was like, I don't know. Just, just more than 15. <laughs> They're going to remember that call though, no matter what happened. Yeah. So 31 minutes, he might even get more than that too. So, right. All right, well, guess we'll leave it here.
Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. If you have questions or ideas around the podcast, send those to podcast at johnpolster.com. Thank you.